acceptance, and attention. Can y'all say those with me? Availability, acceptance, attention. We'll look at these. First one is this. Availability of the kingdom. Availability of the kingdom. Verse 33. The kingdom is not hidden, but is obvious and open to all those who enter through faith and attention. Have you ever have you ever purchased something maybe really expensive or maybe something that you're super proud of and 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 you just want everybody to see it and experience it. You want people to know it, right? You 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 what Let's say, for example, let's say you buy a new, a new couch, a new couch. When you buy a new couch, it's soft, it's comfy. Oh, man, it's the super sofa. Like, it, it's awesome. You, you are so proud of this couch. And here's what you don't do. You don't put the couch in the attic, right? That would be useless, right? That would be vain. That, that, that is not its function. Its function is this. You put it in the living room in the middle of where everybody goes into, and you tell them, Come sit on this couch. Best couch you'll ever sit on, right? You don't, you don't hide it up in the attic. That's not its purpose. That's not its function. That's useless to put an attic, uh, a couch in an attic, right? That's not what it's meant to do. You want people to come and see it. You want to put it on display so that your guests can sit on it and experience it. And this is the essence of of this proverbial statement in verse 33, if you look here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so those who enter may see the light. So this is what people do. When they light lamps, they don't put it under a basket. They don't put it in a cellar where it can't be functional, where it can't actually do what it's intended to do. No, you put it on a lampstand so that it helps all people in the room see. It's put on display for everybody to behold. That's, That's what you do with a lamp. And this is what Jesus is doing here by bringing up this proverbial statement. He's saying, this is exactly what I have done. Me and my ministry has not been hidden. It hasn't been concealed. I've been on display. I put it in the living room of everybody to see and behold and to know. The kingdom has been made available to people. It has not been concealed. It has not been hidden from them. And so Jesus is talking about his ministry in his person. He's actually said this statement before in Luke 8, 8 uh, verse 16. The same exact statement about a lamp and what you do with it. To talk about his ministry and his words. And that what he has said and what he has done is, is not been discreet. It's not been hidden. He's not tried to hide it and conceal it so that nobody sees it. No, he's made himself public for the crowds to know who he is, what he is doing. So... He wants to take this off the table for the cause of the people's rejection. He wants to say, look, that's not the reason people have rejected me. It's because I've hidden myself or I've concealed my ministry or my words have not been evident. No, that's off the table. That that excuse doesn't hold any water. You can't use that to accuse Jesus. Well, Jesus, you were just kind of obscure. You, you were pretty vague. In what no, Jesus is very clear. Jesus is very clear about what he who he is and what he has come to do. And so they can't use that excuse that Jesus is kind of, oh, he's, he's, kind, he's kind of deceived and tricking us. No, not at all. Secrecy is not a justification for denying Jesus in the kingdom. And so, but, but look how they respond. This is what their rejection looks like. And I've already kind of mentioned this, but if you look in verse 14 of chapter 11, verse 14, we'll read a couple of these verses. Now, 
he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. As you heard last week in this sermon, is that look at how the people respond to him. Is that he already at this point has fed the 5,000. He's, he's removed unclean spirits from people. And now he's just exercised a demon out of people. And how do they respond? Well, there's some groups that say they marvel at it. They marvel at his authority over the dark realm, right? But then there's another group of people. And how do they respond? They attribute his work to Satan. Which, that's, that's up to start. That, that can only be of Satan. And then you got another group who's saying, give us more. We want more. That, that's not enough. That's not sufficient to convince me to satisfy my taste, right? Their, their response is basically, ooh, it's Jesus. Cool carnival trick. Can we do another one? Uh, it just, it, wor- it was not. I, it's not what I, I want to get my money's worth, Jesus. Show me something cool. Yeah, exercise a demon, no big deal, right? What you, you can't do enough to convince me. Which is exactly why he doesn't give them more. Right? Verse 29. They come and seek a sign. You're not going to give a sign. Except for Jonah. Right? And so he doesn't grant them more signs because he knows that they could receive a hundred signs. Millions of signs. And it's still not convince them. This is exactly what Jesus will say in Luke 16. When the story of Lazarus and, and the rich man. And the rich man is sent to Sheol. And the rich man says... Go and tell my brothers that, that hey, d- don't do that. Don't, don't come down here. This is bad. And what, what does he say? He says, they didn't believe Moses and the prophets. They didn't believe the person who broke them bread. Right? So nothing's going to convince these people in their rebellion and their rejection of Jesus. They could do a hundred signs. And so Luke's gospel has been very clear. Is that this seeking of signs, despite Jesus showing off, his power and his wonder and his authority, they're seeking and they're asking for more signs, is disingenuous. It's not sincere. They're not coming to him to believe. They're coming to to him in unbelief. And so, but the pages of Luke's gospel have been very clear that Jesus is Lord and his lordship extends over all time, over all creation and over all realms, even to monasteries. That's who Jesus is. We're to be affected by that. That's what Jesus is saying is with this lamp. And so the question is, where is the light? Is the light available? That's not Jesus' question. Here's the question. is What are you going to do with the light that has been made available to you and that has been made manifest to you? What are you going to do with that light? That's the question that Jesus wanted to ask with this proverbial statement. What are you going to do with the light that has been made manifest to you? And so he's going to tell us, even in chapter 8 when he says this, take care then how you hear. How are you receiving my words? Are you listening to me? How are you receiving this, these words? And what are you doing with them? The light has been made available. The lamp has been put on the lampstand. Jesus' ministry and authority has been made very clear to the crowd. What are you going to do now? If we, we here cannot accuse Jesus of being obscure, of being hidden, of being concealed. He's on display. 
And Jesus isn't trying to trick us or deceive us out of the kingdom. He's not doing that. He's been very clear and upfront with who he is, who we are, and what he has come to do. And so therefore, if we reject Jesus' words, our rejection is our responsibility. Holy. Holy are false. If we reject Jesus as Lord. Here we are. So maybe you're in this moment. You're not convinced. Maybe you think that your quality of life must somehow increase in order for you to give Jesus a chance. Maybe you need to you need to see how Jesus is going to benefit you in the long run before you submit to him in faith and repentance. Maybe you need more more evidence to convince you that Jesus is who he says he is. And I just want to want to put this before you. has risen from the dead, what more do we need to convince us that he is Lord? Like a lamb, he has has been put on a lampstand for all to see, made available to all to come and see the light so you can even do that this morning. Come to me, he's an open to you now. Let me me speak to the Christian real quick, because I think this, this says something for us, is that this idea that Jesus has put himself and his authority and his ministry on display and who he is, his character and his identity, I think that's there's even a good application for us often in these moments when we feel like, man, that guy just seems so distant. He just seems so far away from me right now. Right? God, you seem silent and hidden. Well, let this be a reminder that Jesus is saying here. That Jesus in his own ministry is saying, I, I, I've been made public. I'm out here. I'm out here for people to see and know. Same is true for us. In those moments where you feel like and you feel like you've been convinced that God is not for you, He is against you, and that God has hidden Himself from you, and His face is nowhere near us. Remember, we don't we don't have a God who hides Himself. He reveals Himself. We don't have a God who is silent. We have a God who speaks and has spoken in His Word. We don't have a God of distance. We have a God of nearness. And let this encourage you. That God has not forsaken your suffering, but in Jesus, he has come. And your suffering is his. Jesus has not hidden himself from you. And he's still there. And he's there beckoning you on. And so Jesus goes ahead and takes this off the table. If it's not the availability of the kingdom that's the problem, then what is the problem? If it's not that, well, he says this. If the problem is not the kingdom's availability, then the problem must be within us. It's not within them. Within us. Point number two, acceptance. Acceptance of the kingdom. A person's response to Jesus and his kingdom reveals their internal spiritual condition. I don't know if any of you have uh, eye problems, eyesight problems. Anybody? You know, maybe you have blurred vision. You, you wear glasses and, or, uh, you know, maybe you see double or anything like that. Or maybe you have trouble seeing at all. Uh, vision somehow can skew reality for us. It can really mess up things like how we perceive situations and people and surroundings and things like that. A couple of weeks ago, I was taking my mom to, I went down to Pineville, and I was taking my mom to have cataract surgery uh, on one of her eyes. And um, and we, I was driving, and we were, we were driving to the doctor's office, and, and uh, she hits me, and she hits me, uh, 
says, wow, slow down. There's a cop behind us. And so I look at me, and here's this mariner sitting there, and I said, Tom, when, when did the Commodore Police Department start driving Dodge minivans? <laughs> so clearly uh, vision uh, can be detrimental to how you view surroundings and things like that, right? Okay, it, it, is, it is a pretty pivotal uh, feature of our, uh, of our bodies that if this is messed up, then it kind of affects how we respond and react to lots of different situations, right? And Jesus gets this, which is why he uses the eye as imagery, right? This is why he uses this. Because we know, and he knows, is that their rejection is not, is not because of Jesus and his kingdom's availability. Their rejection is due to their spiritual reception, their eyes, their eyes. That's what he's saying in verse 34. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. The eye is the lamp of the body. So the rejection is a symptom of their eye problem. They have an eye problem. So is Jesus meaning that actually there's something wrong with our eyes, like our retinas are wrong or something's bad with us? No. The eye is a metaphor for how we are receiving Jesus, our demeanor and our disposition towards heavenly realities. That's what he means by the eye. Because how are you how are you putting yourself approaching Jesus when you're approachable? What's your demeanor? What's your dis- disposition towards him and spiritual things? Right? And so it says that only those who have a healthy eye they accept Jesus and his word and his kingdom and his mission. They don't demand carnival tricks. They don't demand more signs, right? This is not what people who have a healthy eye do. So what does it mean to have a healthy eye? And how many carrots do I have to eat to have a spiritually healthy eye, right? Well, I, I, think, I think one way we need to look at this is th- there's some different translations. Is everybody in their translation? If I can just do a little poll real quick. Does everybody have Kelsey in their translation? Does anybody have the KJV by chance? Anybody? Anybody have a KJV? Who's, what does it say in the KJV, Miss Melvin? Verse 34. For the eye. Thine eye. Does it say single in there? Anybody have single? Yeah, single eye, right? Interesting. So most of our, most of our translations have healthy, but single is a really good nuance of that word, of the Greek word that's there. Meaning that there is something about this healthy or single eye that is directly focused on Jesus, that is not distracted by other things, that has pure devotion and allegiance to one thing, right? We talk like this, too, you know, even with our kids. Keep keep your eyes on what? Keep your eyes on? Keep your eyes on me. Keep, keep your eyes on me. Because something about eye contact communicates uh, not distracted. It communicates that there's there's a, a devotion there, that, that, that there is complete attention, right? That's what it means. So that's what kind of communicating there, the single eye. I think the KJV does really well there. Single eye, a pure devotion, single focus on Jesus. Paul uses the same, a similar word in 2 Corinthians 11, 3, when He's warning uh, the Christians there in Corinth about the super false apostles that are trying to deceive them. And look what he says. He says, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, by cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere or single 
and pure devotion to Christ. And so Paul is saying, look, these two apostles, these false apostles, can lead you astray, getting you off your one single focus, that being Jesus Christ. And this is what Jesus is trying to say, is that the healthy single eye is one that is undistracted by things of this world. That their single, full focus, attention is on Jesus. That's what a healthy eye is, is that it's not distracted by other things. It's not caught off guard by what the world throws at them. There's a sincerity to understand and believe. Their dispositions aren't partial. Their eyes are on Jesus alone. They are fixed on the pure, undistracted eye. And so by the work of the Spirit, God has made our eyes to be receptive to what we believe in Jesus Christ. They are, we are open-minded to what Jesus has to say and his authority and his kingdom. We have a disposition that, this is what the healthy eye has. It has a disposition to welcome Jesus and to welcome his kingdom, not dismiss it and keep him at a distance. This is what the, this is what the bad eye does. See here, what does the bad eye do? It doesn't do these things. It's the opposite of the healthy eye. And the word, I know we're talking a lot about words and things like that, but I think this is interesting, is that the word here for bad, uh, bad eye, is the same word in verse 29 for talking about the generation. It calls them a evil generation. Same word for the eye. So an evil eye. I know husbands in here, I know you've gotten the evil eye before. I haven't gotten the evil eye this morning uh, because I closed my eyes the whole morning, which wasn't any good. But yeah, we know what the evil eye is. You get this evil eye like, them in the crowd. And so we talk about, you know, we have in our own language about evil eyes, about glances and things like that, but what Jesus is talking about is not necessarily a glance, but about the nature and the condition of the eye. It's an evil eye, and if it's the opposite of the healthy eye, the evil eye is distracted by everything that the world throws at it. It's more concerned about everything other than Jesus and his kingdom. They're enamored with what the world offers them. That's what the evil eye is. They're enamored with Wealth, possessions, power, fame. James Edwards says it really well. An evil eye is either not open to the kingdom or it's divided, duplicitous, and distracted from the kingdom. So this is what the evil eye is. It's not receptive to who Jesus is and what he says and what his kingdom is about. The evil eye disregards, it dismisses, it's distracted. It's all these things. It disparages Jesus' words. It's closed-minded and it's hardened. Distracted, and it tries to, the evil eye tries to duly align itself sometimes with both kingdoms. It tries to say, oh, I got, I got, I'll, I'll have a foot in this kingdom and that kingdom. Matthew's gospel makes this very clear. It uses the same illustration of the eye, and then it talks about the famous passage that Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. You're either going to love one and hate the other. You're going to serve one and serve the other. So Jesus is explaining what the eye is about, what the evil eye is about. It's an evil eye is a person who's trying to, trying to hold both parties, trying to hold both kingdoms in tandem. And guess what? It's impossible. You can't do it. We've seen people in our own nation's history try and have a foothold in two kingdoms or two places. We call those traitors. Benedict Arnold, right? try and 
church serve both sides. It's not possible. And that's what Jesus is saying with the bad or evil attitude. There's a person who is distracted by everything, enamored by everything, and trying to build the alarm and trying to get everything. And so this bad eye is now a representative of the whole body. If you have a bad eye, if you have bad receptors, if you're dismissive to Jesus, if you're distracted by everything in this world, if your eye is unhealthy and evil, guess what? Your whole body and life will be that way. Bad eye, bad body. That's what it is. If your disposition and demeanor toward Jesus is cold and distant, then your whole body will be full of dust and decay. It'll be full of dust and decay. So, the people's rejection was due to their spiritual condition. They reject Jesus. Their eyes are bad, and they're just full of dust. But was it because Jesus was their king? Was it because Jesus was buried there on the cross? No, it says in John 1-1 that he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But the reason they rejected him is because they are filled with dust. Their eyes are bad and evil. They don't want they want the darkness. That's what they want. John 3, 19-20 says this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people, anybody know the next word? Loved the darkness. They loved it. It's not that they didn't want to see the light or can't see the light. They, they loved the darkness. They enjoyed being in the darkness. And so to reject Jesus, just to, just to put it bluntly, to reject Jesus is not a neutral event. It's not like a buffet where you say, I'll take it or leave it. Rejecting Jesus is clearly assigning yourself to the other side. It is a rebellion. So let me just ask us this, that where, where is our allegiance now? Are we more enamored and in love with the things of this world than we are with Jesus? Is our, what, what is your focus like right now, Crosspoint? What, what things are you focused on? And where does Jesus fall in that list of focal points? Because Jesus says this, the healthy eye is fully focused on Jesus and his kingdom. Fully focused. And I think we also can learn from that, is that what we're seeing is that the rejection of Jesus is not due to just surface level things, but it's due to something very deep inside. And so I think for us church Christians that we can't downplay the spiritual condition of a person, the darkness that resides in a person that leads them to reject Jesus. Is that we might want to try to clean people up like, okay, let's throw a suit on them. Let's bring them to church. Let's get them singing the songs that we sing. Let's, uh, let's get them talking the language that we talk, and they'll come around. Darkness is much deeper than the skin. You can put lipstick on a pig, but what are they? Dead. Is that what has to happen to a person is a supernatural event that God intervenes by his spirit in them to bring light So it's okay to bring people to church. I'm okay with that. Like, I'm okay with that. But we have to remember that, that darkness is much deeper than just the skin of a person. It goes into a person's heart. 
Jesus tells us what the call is for, but he doesn't just leave us there. But he now wants to, he wants to call us to attention. Let's here. Attention to the kingdom. Jesus calls us to a fresh and a new spiritual dimension. You ever jumped into a pool, a cold pool? It kind of gives you that shock to your system, like, whoo, whoo. Or, um, or maybe you, you've been woken up in the middle of the night by your alarm system, and you're, or, or just you've been woken up surprisingly. I remember one time in college, uh, me and two buddies uh, went and pitched our tent on on a guy's front lawn without asking him, and uh, slept there. And in the middle of the night, <laughs> somebody came and hit us with a couple bags of flour. Terrible thing, because you're woken up and you're like covered in white stuff. Like, what is happening? And when all these situations, these experiences happen, when you jump into a cold pool or you're woken up by alarm or you're woken up by getting hit with a bag of flour, reality, like, is just, you're so much more aware of reality than you are. You're like, you're so much more aware, whoa, I am in a new world. Like, you ever had that feeling, like, you're just, like, out of body experience, like, oh, I am so aware and attentive right now. That's what I feel like when I, you know, you jump into a cold pool or something like that. It's like a shock to your system. And this is exactly what Jesus is trying to communicate here in verse 35. He's wanting to give us a shock to our system. So he knows, okay, they don't reject me because I've been obscure. And they reject me because they are spiritually dark on the inside. But here, here for you, I want to give you a shock to your system. Be careful. Be careful lest the light in you be darkness. Jesus is issuing us a wake-up call. To self-evaluate our own disposition towards things. Is the light in me really darkness? How is that even possible? How is that even possible? How can a light possibly be? How, how can it be darkness? What does that mean? Well, see, I think that Jesus is warning us from being self-deceived. To thinking that we're okay with Jesus. We're on good terms with Jesus. Right? And we really aren't. We've convinced ourselves that we're okay, despite our indifference to Jesus and his authority and his word, where we, we claim to live in the light, yet we are actually walking in darkness, as First John 1, 6 says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But he's warning us to be warned about self-deception. Be warned, lest you think you have light and you actually have darkness. And he wants to give us a shock to our system where we begin thinking about these two questions. How am I receiving and what am I receiving? I want to think about those two questions just for a minute. How am I receiving and what am I receiving? How am I receiving Jesus' word? Where's my disposition towards him? Am I cold? Am I distant? Am I dismissive? Am I indifferent? Am I unaffected? Am I impervious? Am I unchanged by what Jesus has said in his word? This is a question I think all of us should ask us followers of Jesus right now. Where's our response to what Jesus has said to us? You you can find out a lot about a person how they take and how they take critique and feedback, right? You can find out a lot about a person's character. You give a person critique and feedback, valid critique and feedback. They get all hostile on you, angry, defensive. It says a lot about you. 
But when balancing is given, and we see that the humility and grace and understanding and desire for change says a lot about them, too. What is our response to Jesus? How we respond to Jesus will be a barometer for our spiritual condition. Is that if we're unconcerned with what Jesus has said to us in his word, if we're distracted by other things, enamored with other things of this world, rather than Jesus, then we might be deceived into thinking that the light within us is actually lacking. And that's a really dangerous place. So not only how are you receiving with Jesus, what are you doing with Jesus? What are you doing with Jesus' word? Because if we receive the light, then we are actually, what Matthew 5 says, called to, to be the light, show the light. What are we doing with, with Jesus' words? Are they shaping and molding us right now? Are we being affected by them? Second clue is not just how am I receiving Jesus' words, it's what are you receiving? What are you intaking about Jesus? Is what you believe about Jesus actually true? Or is, I, I think I've said this before to you, or is the Jesus that you believe in look a lot like you? You know, Jesus thinks, it's interesting. Jesus thinks a lot like you. And Jesus acts a lot like you. And Jesus speaks a lot like you. Huh, and, you know, Jesus even has your same political views. Interesting. Man, you and Jesus are so similar. Maybe if that's the case, you have not believed or come into contact with the Jesus of the Bible. If Jesus doesn't challenge any of your views, any of your ideas, any of your, uh, 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 anything that you believe, then you may not have come in contact with the Jesus of the Bible. What Jesus has made in your split moment is not the Jesus of the Word. So, if Jesus and what we read from the Bible doesn't challenge us in how we think about parenting, how we think about spending money, how we think about spending time, what, how, how and what we write on Facebook or through text message or through emails or what we watch on TV or what we look at on the computer, if Jesus doesn't challenge any of these things, then we don't have the Jesus of the Bible. It's not who we got. We have the Jesus who looks like us and wants us to be humble and wants us to have humble hearts. The Jesus of the Bible is to challenge what you think and what you feel and what you know and see glory come out of that because Jesus is God in the flesh in this time. Be attentive. Pay attention. Self-evaluate. Ask yourself these questions first. Follow with Jesus. Ask yourself, how am I receiving Jesus' words? When I read God's word right now this morning, and I read it in my daily quiet time, how am I receiving Jesus' words? And then what am I receiving Jesus' words? Jesus has come to show us what our spiritual condition is and what we must pay attention to light that we can't get back from. People reject Jesus, not because he's been obscure. He has been fully displayed. Made the kingdom available. But the reason that people don't accept him is because they aren't spiritually dynamic. So he calls us to be attentive.